Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world. And of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. Support for this special series, Passengers, is provided by the American Public Transportation Association at publictransportation.org. I mean, how nice to get on a light rail car, sit there, read a paper, zoom in. You know, you don't have the high stress of sitting in traffic, stop and go. You know, and you don't have to worry about somebody running into you because they're texting. The huge nationwide problem of clogged roadways and how public transit can help. You're listening to Passengers, a special series from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. When Americans commute by automobile, nine in 10 of us are riding solo, but we're not alone on the road. All of these single occupant trips add up to massive traffic jams, not just on freeways, which at peak travel times are often crawlways. Thousands of other roads are also clogged throughout the nation's 439 urban areas. Drivers who must negotiate this obstacle course are frequently distracted, aggravated, and sometimes enraged and people are looking for solutions. Cheap gas is a thing of the past. In Chicago, Maria Choka Urban analyzes transportation trends at the Center for Neighborhood Technology. Uh, we can't afford to continue to pollute our air the way we have, or we're going to pay some serious consequences down the road. Um, the time is now for beginning to make change to address all of those issues. So what would a sustainable transportation system look like? It would be a system that gave people choices about how to run errands, about how to get to work, um, about how to get to school. People would have the option of walking, riding a bike, riding a bus or a train, or riding their car. And it wouldn't have to be their car that they drive. It could be a vehicle that is a part of a car-sharing fleet. Train approaching. Please stand clear of the platform edge. This special documentary project entitled Passengers will examine current efforts to offer Americans more transportation choices because we may no longer be able to afford going down the same road. In the latest year studied, 2009, congestion caused urban Americans to travel an extra 4.8 billion hours, burning up an additional 3.9 billion gallons of fuel. The total cost? $115 billion. Most of our population is in big cities now, 
And in the big cities, traffic congestion is a significant problem. Lewis and Lem, a transportation expert in San Francisco, has consulted with more than a dozen states developing environmental plans. So if you are driving to work and there are thousands of people also trying to get through that narrow space on the freeway at the same time as you, you're probably going to bump into some of them on the freeway. Well, let's hope not bump in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll see them, and that's traffic congestion. And Pete Torriello, are you there? We have a new problem now on the Nassau County South Shore with an accident on Route 135 southbound at Sunrise Highway, and two lanes are blocked. In Brooklyn, we're bumper to bumper along the inbound... Traffic congestion has been getting worse for a couple of reasons. One of those is that we just haven't been building as many lanes of highways as we used to. So during the earlier part of the 20th century, we built highways at quite a rapid clip. And so our population was actually catching up to the use of those highways. But in the last few decades, uh, especially in the cities, we haven't added much to highways. In fact, some cities are uh, reducing the amount of highway lane miles they have, or they're putting up metering ramps to try to limit the access to some of the freeways to to, to reduce congestion. So we're in a situation where the highway capacity in many places is at a limit. I recently visited California where perhaps more than in any other state, the automobile has assumed iconic importance. On a drizzly morning in San Francisco, I made my way to the Tower Car Wash downtown. It operates a Chevron station and a convenience store near an entrance to Highway 101. Drivers had time to chat with me while filling up their tanks. How bad is traffic congestion around the Bay Area? Well, a good example, last night I had a meeting in San, San Ramon and had to drive back to the city. It took me about almost two hours to get there, just bumper to bumper, pretty much all the way from, from San Ramon, so it's pretty bad. Is that frustrating? Yeah, definitely. I was pretty mad when I got home last night, so... Yeah. It just doesn't give me a chance to, like, relax. I'm, I'm on, I'm constantly on, and then I go to work, and I'm constantly on all day, and then I have to be on again to drive home, and I wish I could kind of shut down and just sit on the bus and close my eyes or think about what I'm going to do next, and I can't do that when I'm driving. You feel like you have to be kind of hyper alert? All the time. Does that take a toll on you? Oh, yeah, it makes everything more exhausting. It makes, it makes me have a 12-hour day instead of a eight-hour day. I can't easily get to the train station from where I live, so for me to take public transportation, I would have to walk to the train station, transfer trains, and then take a shuttle to my job, so it's a lot more direct for me to drive. If, if there were like one of those steps were removed, I'd probably do it more frequently. I've done it from time to time, but not too often. And do you use public transportation while you're here in the city? I do, yeah. Once I get home on Fridays, I usually just like leave my car in the driveway until Monday morning. So whenever I'm in the city, I try to take public transportation. What do you do uh, in the car when you're really stuck in traffic? When I'm really stuck in traffic, I usually listen to music and I toggle back and forth from classical to rap, which is funny. And which do you find more soothing when the frustrations of traffic congestion are at their peak? Nice classical station, I like it. But the rap kind of pumps me up for work. And one last question, how much do you spend on, uh, on maintaining and fueling and insuring your car? 
Well, gas alone to fill this thing is like 70 bucks, which will last you a week, week and a half. So, I mean, gas alone, I would say, is $300 a month. And then insurance, maintenance, parking, if you get parking tickets, it's a money pit. The biggest cost is time. Transportation consultant Lewis and Lem. If you spend an extra 20 minutes because there's too much traffic congestion, you've lost that time that day. That means that might have been 20 minutes taken out of your work schedule. That might have been 20 minutes that you might have used to run some errands before starting work. That might have been 20 minutes that you might have to actually pay for because you were late to pick up your child at daycare. And that means that when you do fill up your gas tank the next time, you're probably going to have to put a little bit more into the gas tank, spend a little bit more than you would have if you weren't sitting in traffic congestion before that. Take me riding in the car, car, take me riding in the car, car. Take you riding in the car, car, I'll take you riding in the car. Woody Guthrie riding in my car. Of course, people who seek an alternative to car travel can get frustrated by the current public transit system as well. I wandered down here to the Powell Street subway station operated by BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, and met a visitor in from Florida. In Tallahassee, we have a bus system that um, takes forever to get you from one place to the next, and that's all we have. And would you prefer uh, greater transit services where you live? I, I most certainly would. We're just back from a trip to Denmark, and we were able to get all around the country and all around town seamlessly with one ticket um, on public transportation and trains like these uh, here in the BART station came every two minutes. I mean, we did not have to wait to go wherever we wanted. It was wonderful. We'd never have to have a car. People who are elderly can get around in town all by themselves because they don't have to be driven someplace or they don't have to drive someplace. They can hop on and they can go and it's safe. What we need is a smart system of infrastructure equal to the needs of the 21st century. President Barack Obama, October 2010. A system that encourages sustainable communities with easier access to our jobs, to our schools, to our homes. A system that decreases travel time and increases mobility. A system that cuts congestion and ups productivity. A system that reduces harmful emissions over time and creates jobs right now. President Obama envisions a heightened role for mass transit in America's future, but that will represent a departure from the nation's recent history. Since World War II, American culture has been enchanted with the private automobile, as illustrated in this 1950s promotional film by General Motors. If we are to realize in full the motor car's vast potential for good, we must use it and care for it wisely. The motor car has been the key to open new horizons. If we recognize the importance of this great individual freedom of movement, the motor car will be the key to our ever-widening horizons of tomorrow. Today, nearly 240 million passenger cars and sport utility vehicles travel America's roadways. According to the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers, car purchases account for 20% of all U.S. retail sales. But before cars came to play such a dominant role in American society, 
mass transit was a fixture of our culture. Well, Mr. Norton, tell me something. Have you ever ridden in your friend's bus here? Oh, yes, I ride my friend's bus every opportunity I get the chance because I'm assured of a comfortable, smooth, safe ride. Mm -hmm. And besides that, he lets me ride on the bus for nothing. <laughs> Art Carney in the working-class comedy The Honeymooners, in which Jackie Gleason played the bus driver Ralph Cramden. In real life, the existence of a mass transit system had a defining impact on Richard Rodriguez in Chicago. My parents actually met here uh, on a uh, CTA bus, a Chicago Transit Authority bus, years ago in the city of Chicago. Uh, my mother having uh, immigrated here from Ecuador, uh, South America, and then my dad having come over from Puerto Rico, uh, have found themselves uh, traveling on the same bus one day, and that, that's how it all started. And they just happened to catch each other's eye? They did. It depends on who, who you speak to and which version of the story they'll give you, but it did happen, uh, and uh, I'm proof of such. So and that was, uh, gosh, 45 years ago. Today, Richard Rodriguez is president of the Chicago Transit Authority. We provide 1.7 million rides every single day. If you think about the vast number of people that we actually do get to work, get to worship, get to the grocery store, get to daycare facilities on a daily basis, 1.7, it's, uh, it's a significant amount of, of individuals. We've got a fleet of about 1,700 buses. We've got about 1,200 rail cars that travel over 224 miles of track over 11,000 bus stops across the entire region. But like many public transit agencies, which depend on sales tax revenue to supplement passenger fares, the Chicago Transit Authority has suffered in the Great Recession. In February 2010, the system faced a deficit of more than $95 million. We had to make some really draconian cuts to our service. We had to reduce our personnel. We had a staff, uh, a team of about 11,000 employees. We had to reduce... Uh, by about 1,100 employees. So we had to lay off 1,100 individuals, 1,000 that were union, 100 that were non-union on the management and administration side. Um, we decreased service, the amount of service hours that we provide on the bus by 18 percent uh, and 9 percent on our rail side. It's a significant reduction in, in, in service hours that we've put out there, all attributable to a reduction in public funding because of the, the, the crisis that we're going through with the economy. So in spite of having reduced service by almost 20%, I have lost less than 1% of my ridership, meaning that people haven't stopped using the system. They're so committed to it. You're listening to Passengers, a documentary project about public transportation from humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on Passengers, including links to studies, videos, historical documents, and information about transit in your area, please visit our website, humanmedia.org. The 42 million Americans who ride public transit daily or on a regular basis represent a broad cross-section of income levels. According to a nationwide survey, over a third of these passengers earn more than $50,000 a year. But for some lower-income populations unable to afford a car, mass transit can be a lifeline. This is Dudley Square, an historic inner-city neighborhood in Boston. 
large outdoor bus depot here is operated by the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, known to everyone as the T. For some passengers, it's their only way of getting to work. I live check by check, day by day. And you know, and I depend on the public transportation. I depend on this to get me to where I'm going. But yet still, I have to leave my house earlier and earlier every day so I can get to, t- so I can get to work on time for, because for the simple fact, the buses are always late, always late. 4.30 comes early in the morning, and if I don't catch that first bus to go to work, I'm late. Have you ever driven? Yes, I have. But you don't have a car now? No, I just had surgery on my eyes and uh, didn't come out too good, so I don't drive anymore. And uh, how often do you use the buses or the T? Every day. Do you go to work? Yeah. May I ask what you do? I'm a cashier, stop and shop. At the supermarket? A lot of people have to get where they're going. You know, otherwise it would be impossible for them to get where they're going. I think it really helps a lot because only everybody drives a car. Mass, do you have a car? No, I don't. So you're relying uh, exclusively on public transportation? Public transportation, yes, I do. Most mass transit passengers, 7 in 10, do have access to a car, but they opt to use buses and trains anyway. At rush hour in particular, the majority of transit passengers have made this choice. During other times of the day, public transit largely is serving a lot of captive users who have no choice. They don't own cars, they're too old, too young, too poor, too infirm to drive, uh, which is not inconsequential. That's roughly one-third of American travelers in most metropolitan areas. Robert Cervero is one of America's leading scholars on transportation. He directs the University of California Transportation Center in Berkeley, where he is also a professor of city planning. When you have a car-based society, a, a auto-centric landscape where the settlement patterns of cities, everything spread out, the distances are so far apart, you have to have motorized transport to get to housing, to get to offices, theaters, restaurants, or whatever. As we have created auto-oriented cities, roughly a third of the American population is left out. They don't have the full level of access to those opportunities that the rest of us do. And as we get an increasingly aged society, uh, eyesight-challenged motorists, uh, we're going to probably find even larger uh, shares of folks are going to be more and more dependent on public transit. But the people who do have a choice... Why do those people in significant numbers, rising numbers, decide that they want to use trains or buses? Because um, it either saves time or is comparable in, in, in the amount of time to get to your destination, or it's cheaper, particularly as it relates to avoiding parking costs. So th- those are the two overriding factors. How much time does it take to drive versus take public transit? And door-to-door, how much am I going to pay? Um, using a car versus public transit. So comparing the two modes, a car typically driven by a single occupant versus public transit use, which is more expensive for the person? Well, well, the car is going to be a lot more expensive. I mean, you know, I, I, it depends what year it is, a model, and so forth. But, you know, AAA numbers are now in the area of, of like 65, 70 cents per mile of using a car. If you, The full cost of of purchasing the car, depreciation of the car, insurance, maintenance, operations, 
gasoline, all of that, on a per mile basis, typically 12 to 15,000 miles driven a year, it comes out to kind of 65, 70 cents a mile. You know, so for a, a 10 mile trip, it's 650, typically bus fares are flat fares, so you might pay a couple of dollars. In the Washington suburb of Arlington, Virginia, I'm taking a late afternoon stroll with Todd Dubois, a local resident, to the courthouse stop of the Metro Transit System. He's become a fan of public transportation. One of my main reasons for wanting to get my wife to uh, start using the train was I thought it'd be nice if she and I could walk up to the Metro together in the morning. And then so far it's been nice, you know, we just kind of, whether we want to talk about anything or if we just want to be kind of quiet and hold hands, you know, it's just like eight minutes, you know, alone time before we uh, head into the chaotic day. So we're now entering a parking garage. So this is actually the parking garage underneath the county building. And it's just kind of a nice shortcut to get into the metro here. Usually there's a guy out there playing guitar inside the metro tunnel you hear. In spring 2010, Todd entered a contest called the Car-Free Diet Skeptics Challenge, sponsored by the County of Arlington, Virginia. In a community known for horrendous traffic jams, the challenge is a chance to test out whether people who normally use a car can go a month without one. Todd, age 32, decided to participate because he was fed up with congestion. It would be so frustrating. You'd look at the interstate on-ramp and think, it looks like it's moving. Great. And then you get on it, and it's this winding curve, and you go around the corner, and then it stops, and there's nothing you can do. You know, you, you're forced to stay on this road for the next two miles just crawling. And uh, the one particularly quick route that I would take, you'd get in it, and then there's a shoulder to the right side uh, for you to pull over. But during uh, commute hours, three to five, buses are allowed to use that. So you're sitting there in this car, and you're just like 10 15, 20 buses come flying past you. You know, they're moving. That's the important thing. And I thought, you know, they, they, they've got to be beating me home. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, once this challenge came up that uh, Arlington put on, I thought, all right, I'm going to try this out and see what it does. Todd and another contestant, Ross Frazier, were selected as finalists by a panel of judges and hundreds of online voters. Ross, age 29, ended up actually selling his 1999 Mercedes-Benz three weeks into the challenge. Coming into the home stretch here right now, it's pretty neck and neck, I think. You know, both of us have been keeping up with our blogs. Ross sold his car. That's pretty tough to compete with. Todd, Todd has been a worthy adversary. You know, I, at first, I didn't size him up as much. I thought, this guy is going to drive within, I give him 12 hours. Each finalist received a bike and a Metro Pass. They posted videos and blogs online. Todd lost seven pounds in his mostly car-free month. Ultimately, he was declared the winner, although Todd says the competition was pretty close. He took on the challenge because he did not want to feel limited by a car. I'd say, you know, I was spending in the car about $200 just on gas, let alone mileage and wear and tear on the car, insurance, and frustration and whereas the metro was just it was a hundred dollars on average per month and uh definitely the the nice thing about riding the metro is i'm not responsible for the driving you know 
I'm just sitting back and I'm reading emails or I'm like watching a video, I'm playing a game or I'm listening to music or I'm just like closing my eyes and not thinking about anything. He now uses public transit when commuting to his job at an online clothing company based in Arlington. To reduce waiting time, Todd monitors when vehicles are estimated to arrive through a website accessed on his mobile phone. But there are limitations, too, as Todd Dubois acknowledges. Uh, There's still a few things that, you know, every once in a while you miss time something and you come off to see the bus drive off. Now approaching North Lee Road at North Pershing Street. Sitting on the bus, I mean, the worst stress you have is maybe you you miss the bus, but there's always another one coming. It's kind of... um, Maybe it's that fear that you have when you were in grade school. And, you know, there's only one bus that's coming to take you to school. And if you miss it, you're in trouble. But, you know, the nice thing about the public transportation system around here is, you know, if you miss one, there's another one coming. At the time we had the challenge, uh, we had two cars between my wife and I. We had my 1994 Honda Civic with 180-something thousand miles on it. And we have a 2004 Ford Escape. My wife finally... Um, let me convince her to um, start taking transit to work, too. Um, and we sold uh, my Civic. The walk to the Metro every day for me is at least, you know, eight-minute walk. Um, additionally, when I get to work, unless I actually pack a, a lunch, I've got to find a way to get somewhere to get lunch. And there's a nice grocery store nearby. So additionally, it's a 13-minute walk. As you can tell, Todd is into precise record-keeping. When the car was his main mode of travel, Todd logged gas prices for years whenever he filled up. For the car-free challenge, he worked up a detailed spreadsheet to measure even his carbon emissions, which he says dropped from about 500 pounds a month to just 63. I'd time my walk to the metro. I'd time how long I stood there waiting for the train. When the train arrived, I started it, and I, how long it took me to get to the uh, the stop where I get off and transfer to a bus. I'd time how long it took for me to get from the train to the bus, and I'd time how long I'd wait for the bus, how long the bus ride took, and then my walk to my office. So um, I just felt like, you know, that would, you know, help me to improve, you know, uh, the actual, like, performance. So there's certain things I learned from that. Obviously, um, once I started riding the train, I realized the train stops at the exact same stop or place inside the station. It's not like it just kind of like he comes in and hits the brakes. So if I stand in the exact same spot when that train arrives, the door that I want to be at is going to be right there. So I get on that, and I stand there at that door. When it arrives at the station where i got to transfer the bus, that door is right where the escalator is to get out. So, I, you know, those little things. And I, Same thing on the bus. I know that when I go home, I want to sit in that very front seat of the bus so that the minute it pulls up at the train station, I'm the first one off the bus. So uh, I just pulled up my uh, my cell phone app here, and just looking at the courthouse, which is the station we're coming into right now. Uh, we got to go down the escalator, but I can see the trains coming in right now. There's one heading uh, out to Vienna, which is the direction I go to work uh, in about two minutes. There's one heading towards D.C. in about a minute. But I can see, you know, from this whether I need to kind of hustle and kind of move down the escalator, or if I can kind of just take my time. So you have a pretty good idea of how long it takes to descend the escalator. Exactly. So you can hear the wind tunnels effect. Yep. The Metro is the rapid transit system operated around the District of Columbia. One of the nation's best systems, it has 86 stations spanning 106 miles. When a train approaches, colored lights flash brightly in the flooring at the edge of the platform. 
Do you still have a, uh, a fare card you can use, or you need to get one here? Or? Yes, I will need to get one. Is it going to give me uh, Susan B. Anthony's? Well, uh, right now it's about, uh, I guess, 5 o'clock-ish, the start of the rush hour for people coming home. So you got two trains in the station here right now. One's leaving. That's just dropped off a ton of people coming in from the district. Another one just came in from the other side in Virginia. So uh, this is pretty much the peak of uh, what you see here in the evening. People, A lot of people coming off the exit here, not as many people getting on the trains probably. These cars are standing room only. Here you got at least six to seven people that had to deep, you know, deboard the the train just to let people out, and then they had to get back on. This guy's jacket's stuck in the door. He didn't even he didn't even know that yet. <laughs> He'll find out shortly, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Todd Dubois, winner of the Car Free Diet Skeptics Challenge on the Metro Train in Arlington, Virginia. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliard, associate producer Mike Jansen. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal, Kathy Graham, Fred Yant, and Art Cohen. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Metro Traffic, Rounder Records, Prelinger Archive, and Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, part one of Passengers, is Humankind program number 161. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.